CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. This is Mark Striegel coming at you on the podcast here today. It is all about Texas metal. What you just heard was the great Pantera live, Cowboys from Hell. Great stuff from Pantera, always, of course. And that actually is uh, off the uh, 1997 101 Proof Live record. Which is, of course, on iTunes. And we'll get the plug right out of the way right now. How it works, guys, is you go to TalkingMetal.com and there into the show notes for episode 357, you will see a link 
You click that link, you click that link, it opens up your iTunes and takes you right to that song. You purchase that song. John and I here on Talking Metal will get a cut of that, like five cents or something, and any other music, TV shows, uh, even apps for that matter, you buy while you're in the iTunes music store, not even music store, just iTunes store, we get a cut on that too. So uh, even if you don't want to buy that track, maybe you already have that track, use the link to click through. And once you're in the store, go buy some shit and keep us in business here. Talking metal. This is all about Texas metal today. And I want to thank my executive producer for today's podcast. His name is James Smith. And he helped uh, hook this up. He's picked some of the music you're going to hear, including this next track by a band out of Texas, of course, called Hellstar. And Hellstar recently played in New Jersey, not far from the uh, the home base here today in Maplewood, New Jersey. They played at AJ's, which is a, a strip club that John and I used to go to way, way back in the day when we... Uh, lived in Hoboken and Jersey City back there. John still lives in Jersey City. I'm talking when I lived back there, like in the mid-90s. Um, but AJ's is uh, apparently still in business with uh, strippers and now rock music. Uh, and the great Hellstar from Texas playing there recently. A, fr- a guy I work with actually at Bionic, um, who actually engineers a lot of the Talking Metal Live shows, was at the Hellstar gig which is uh, which is pretty cool, and he had a great time. This is called The Whore of Babylon. It's from the Distant Thunder record by Hellstar, 1988. We're going to go uh, go to that, come back, and talk about what we have going on on this episode today, including an interview with the great Texas metal band Militia. Okay, that's Hellstar playing underneath me right now. Some great instrumental metal coming out of the one and only Texas. All music on today's show is out of Texas. It's an all-Texas metal music show today on episode 357 of the Talking Metal Podcast. 
We were pretty psyched, speaking of episode numbers. Uh, episode 356, possibly the most listened to podcast in Talking Metal history. We've been doing this for almost six years now, guys. Can you believe that shit? Craziness. Anyways, um, it was all because of Black Veil Brides. For the most part, they just have an incredible fan base and... We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, potentially 500 people tuning into the live stream. It looked like a lot more than that actually tried to get into the uh, the live stream. I think we have a 500 listener limit on the live 365 stream. I'm not sure. Um, I had uh, hits well over 10,000 for the Talking Metal website the day of the live show back in July. Um, and of course, episode 356 was the podcasted third hour of that live show. This may make no sense to any of you if you're not um, a talking metalhead. But anyways, uh, next live show, I think, will be August 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please tune in to that. And that will be the Talking Metal six-year anniversary show. So... Definitely, please tune in August 9th. Uh, I'm like 99%, nah, let's say 90% confirmed that it's happening August 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You may just want to uh, check in with the uh, TalkingMetal.com website to confirm that. I'll be confirming that within the next five days for sure. Again, all Texas metal today on uh, the, uh, the podcast. John is wrapping up work on... His book, which is coming out on Random House, that's why John is not here today. His book, I should say Ace Frehley's book, No Regrets. John wrote the book with Ace, and you will see his name on the cover of the Ace Frehley book, written by Ace Frehley and two people. One of those people being John. The way I understand it, John is... uh, Probably the guy who wrote more than anybody for this book, but uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, what John has to say with it. He always puts a nice spin on it. But uh, John and Ace, great friends. They've been friends for for many, many years. And who better to sit down with Ace and help him write his life story than the man that knows it better than anybody, probably even Ace himself, (laughs) John Ostrowski, a.k.a. our very own John Astronomy. So... Big news and a congratulations to John on that. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that in uh, episodes uh, to come. We've definitely hinted that John has been helping Ace with the book, but it wasn't announced until this past week that he is actually uh, a co-writer on the book with Ace. So uh, I can't wait to read it myself. Um, What do we got? We're going to go to our friend Alan Tecchio. Now, Alan Tecchio from New Jersey, and you're probably saying, hey, wait, this is supposed to be only Texas metal today. Well... It still is. This is Watchtower. Get this, new Watchtower. Pretty crazy to say new Watchtower, huh? But this is new, and it's called The Size of Matter.
Right out of Texas, Watchtower. A pretty significant band in the history of Texas metal. Um, and, and, you know, with the Jason McMasters connection. Also, Jason McMasters, who most of us non-Texas dudes know as the voice of Dangerous Toys, a great kind of commercial hard rock metal band, if you will. Um, definitely a very prominent, important player in the history of Texas metal. And we'll hear more about him when we interview the guys in Militia. Four out of the five original members of Militia will be joining us today on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, Jason McMasters, definitely. We'll get into some music right now by him, but I just want to do mention that 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 new Watchtower track featuring Alan Tecchio, who I do some jamming with up here in New Jersey, um, that is on iTunes. So, once again, go to talkingmetal.com, use that link to open your iTunes and buy that shit now, guys. Cool. The website talkingmetal.com, the link in today's show notes for episode 357. Once again, a big shout out to our executive producer who came up with the idea for a Texas metal episode of Talking Metal. His name is James Smith. If you are interested in Being an executive producer, please contact me at striegelmark at gmail.com or at talkingmetal at yahoo.com and we'll work it out. We'll work it out. You'll help me pick some tracks. You'll help me pick a band to interview um, and we'll make it nice. Uh, of course, it has to be a band that I kind of dig. I don't, uh, for example, uh, we get a, I had a request recently to do something with a metalcore band. I, I, you know, nothing against the metalcore stuff. I, I do like some of it. But it's not my expertise. It's not my first love. Um, if we're going to do an executive producer thing with you, I want it to be a band that I at least like. Otherwise, it's just us, you know, selling out. Um, it does. Uh, there is a slight fee to be an executive producer. But again, it becomes your show is is as much as mine. So uh, a big thanks to today's executive producer once again, Mr. James Smith. Right now, a little dangerous toys featuring Jason McMasters.
Again, that was Jason McMasters, a guy who really seemed to be an important figure in the 1980s uh, Texas metal scene. And that track is on iTunes for 99 cents. Go buy all this shit. Uh, you know, support us, support these artists. We're going to keep things moving right now with the one and only Militia. Then we're going to get into an interview by Militia. So let's check it out right now. Robert, Mike, and all the guys from Militia joining me on the Talking Metal podcast. I will apologize in advance for the uh, quality of this interview. Um, Done a couple interviews via Skype right now, and they have all turned out rather poor as far as the sound quality goes. It's funny because on the Mark Striegel Show podcast, I did an interview with my boy Victor Ruiz over in Spain, and he was, uh, we were just shooting the shit basically, testing out Skype, and I actually posted it as a, a podcast, Mark Striegel Show podcast, and I thought it sounded great. Um, since then, I've done a few interviews with bands via Skype, and I don't know if it's just that they don't have a microphone and they're talking right into their computer or whatever but the sound quality has been poor having said that this is a great interview lots of great stories i do i do encourage you to listen to it some stuff about watchtower some stuff about pantera some some great stuff uh in this um interview uh, when you're hearing the pantera stuff he mentions phil remember that phil is actually a, a member of of militia, so that's maybe where I it, it could potentially come off like he's talking about Phil from Pantera, but he's definitely not uh, saying that. So, uh, anyways, again, Robert, Mike, and the boys from militia, thank you so much for joining us. You have some great stuff to say. I'd, I'd be willing to get any of you guys back maybe for a one-on-one interview at some point um, over the phone, maybe down the road when the when your album comes out um, to to update us on what Militia's up to, because obviously you guys are working on new music now, and you informed me that there was no new music to play for the Talking Metal listeners, which is why right now we're going to get into some real classic shit right now in the Talking Metal podcast, then into our interview with Militia, then a little more Militia, and then I'll be back to wrap things up. Rock it. Oh, mankind! 
Hey guys, on the Skype line, right now we have a very cool band from Texas who has a really unique history, Militia. How are you guys doing today? Great. Cool. If we, oh, you bet. We got we got four of the five of you guys uh, today on Talking Metal. If you could just uh, go around the room and say your name and what instrument you play. Yeah, I'm Robert Willingham, play bass. I'm uh, Jesse Viegas, uh, play guitar. I'm Tony Smith, guitar. Mike Solis, vocals. Cool. So, guys, you have a very unique story in that back in the infancy days of the, I guess you'd call it the Texas metal scene, you guys were one of the, the prominent players, and you did some demoing. And, uh, well, let's go back to the beginning, um, about, you know, with your first demo, how did that all come about? How did the band form and come to make this demo? The band formed in about early 84, 1984. And, uh, when we actually went in to do the, what became the demo, we were, we were actually hoping to do an EP or, or an album. So we want to do a vinyl thing, but, uh, of course, the financial stuff caught up to us, and and uh, and things didn't work out. We we started out at one studio, and we weren't it's taking forever, and it was draining our money. And so uh, that the first demo got downgraded to a, or the first EP got downgraded to a demo, and we finally released it in '85. I mean, we had a lot of time where we were around, and we had nothing to give people as far as music because it was taking so long to get it recorded, and we did the demo in '85. And uh, so we, we formed, like I said, in early 84. Um, and uh, we, we had the, the main band together, the Tony and Jesse, myself and Phil. And we were kind of without a vocalist for a couple of months and um, kind of getting discouraged that we were going to find a vocalist. And, and uh, Jason McMaster from Watchtower got in touch with us and said, hey, uh, y'all need to try Mike Solis out for vocals. And I was like, really? If he was a drummer? But he's an amazing drummer, and I, we all knew who he was already. None of us knew he could sing, and, um, and so he showed up to practice. And about five seconds in, it was like, "Oh my gosh!" And, and uh, he just blew us away. And, and we knew that uh, we knew that we could actually start doing shows, and we were a real band. <laughs> you know, because it's like hey, we got we had what we needed. So that that was kind of how we formed. That was how that first uh, first Regiments of Death demo came about. Now. Jason, who a lot of the Talking Metal listeners might also know from his, his band that did quite well, Dangerous Toys, he was a mutual friend of, of you guys and Mike? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we and Jason went to school together, actually, in high school. And uh, we were actually in a cover band together called Fallen Angel. We used to do uh, Motorhead, Saxon, Priest, uh, Def Leppard. So, yeah, we, we go way back. Okay, and then, so the the lineup eventually came together with Mike joining up with you guys, and at that point you played, you were playing a lot of gigs or a few gigs? How, how much how much time did you guys spend gigging? We, we didn't play a whole ton of gigs, uh, mostly because we wanted to kind of keep everything fresh, but uh, we played our first show on uh, July, uh, July 3rd, 1984, and we mostly just played a lot of local shows, opening up for uh, 
some of the other bands, either from, from the Austin and San Antonio era, you know, Malacho, The Watchtower, S.A. Slayer, um, Wizard, Carrion, uh, bands like that. And, um, and then, then we got an opportunity to play uh, a little Texas mini tour with Nasty Savage. They came over from Florida and we'd never heard of them, didn't know who they were and got an opportunity to do that. And that was a, a real fun time. It was kind of our first time of actually going and being gone for a few days uh, playing shows. It was like a small taste of what it might be like to actually be on tour, but it was a lot of fun. The guys in Nasty Savage are great and we still talk to some of those guys today. And, and it, at some point you did a gig that featured two bands that had the same name, right? And it was with the income from that gig that you guys were able to do the, the vinyl EP, The Sibling, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that helped a little bit. But when we, and that, and that Slayer Slayer show was obviously a huge one. Um, I mean, around here we had heard of San Antonio Slayer before we ever heard of L.A. Slayer. And, uh, and what year was this approximately? This was 80, 84, 85? It was in 84. Yeah, it was November of 84. And uh, San Antonio Slayer had been out since 82, I think. Um, 82 yeah. or 83. I think Mike has went to see them probably in 83. Yeah. Uh, they played the first second. Yeah. And uh, so the Slayer was like a, a – they were kind of a, a fixture here. And uh, then then – you know, we found out about this other Slayer. In fact, I saw their record at a store. I thought it was S.A. Slayer. And I was like, this doesn't sound anything like them. <laughs> and I realized it was a different one. And uh, But, yeah, that was a big show. But, we'll, but what kind of got to the point where we were able to put on our own shows, and uh, we would rent out the Ritz Theater and, and pay a sound man and some light, pay a light guy and pay some, you know, the, the opening bands. And, and that was and sold merch, sold our demos and our shirts. And we did pretty good from that, and that's what helped finance the uh, sibling EP. And where was the sibling EP recorded? It was at uh, Music Lane Studios in Austin. And this was like a what, an eight track or sixteen track studio? I think it was a twenty-four. Was it twenty-four? Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think was it Willie Nelson or somebody that owned um, it or somebody like so. that. I mean, a lot of a lot of Austin iconic type, you know, people, non-metal types, uh, recorded there. It was right under, it was in the basement of a, a venue that called the Austin Opera House. A lot of shows were there. Yeah. So, uh, that's where we recorded it. And there were only a hundred pressings of this. So there were really only a hundred copies of this, this EP yeah. existed on vinyl. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It wasn't like a strategic move on our part or anything. It's just that's all we could afford to print. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pretty much after that, that's pretty much when the issue broke up. Mm -hmm. I was out of the band before the album was released. Really? Okay. At the time from when we finished recording, at the time it was out, uh, with the band completely changed. Right. So basically, Tony and, and Jesse left the band. The band existed in some form after that. But... But the sibling kind of marked the end of of militia as as it is today, if you will. As it, um, so, yeah. let's let's fast forward then all the way to the two thousands. It turns out that you guys went your different ways, and I'm sure you went on, you know, 
leading your your life paths, if you will. But when did you find out that this EP that you guys had done so many years earlier was was such a valued piece of metal, if you will, in Europe? Yes, um, we had we had been getting some reports. We were getting people were contacting us. I guess when the internet came out and we all started getting email, um, I started getting emails from people that you know I didn't realize. At first, I thought it was spam or junk or whatever, but then I, you know, because it was all in broken English, but there'd be people from Greece and Germany contacting us and uh, asking us if we had a copy and what we're willing to sell and things like that. And there were rumors that we'd seen rumors that they were selling for over a thousand dollars, but uh, there was an eBay auction that took place in 2003, I think, where one sold for eleven hundred and thirty-six dollars. Yeah, and. Uh, and that, and that was like real proof that, that they were they were selling like that, that they were valued that much. Before it's all rumors, and we still had a hard time even really believing it. It, it. It's just like it caught fire from there. You know what I mean? It's like it spread, and and the price got higher and higher and higher. It's more collectible today since what five years ago. Yeah, it seems like with the proliferation of the internet, it's like it made it a lot easier for people to kind of track it and, and you know, get out there that they're I, interested. I always tell people it seems like our EP is more popular than the band. Yeah. Which is probably true, you know. So this, were you, had you guys been in contact up to this point? Like, were you still friendly? Did you occasionally touch base? Or is this, this uh, the fact that the EP was the price of it was now skyrocketing, skyrocketing on the internet. Was this something that brought you back in contact with one another? Um, I think it was uh, how many years back did uh, Rocket Drone? Yeah, in two thousand and four, we got we were approached by Rocket Drone Records to do a compilation and maybe a re-release, and that kind of brought us back together. It, it, it all you know, we were thinking about it and. It actually dragged out a long time. It almost seemed like we weren't going to get back together. It just kind of seemed like, oh, we'll get to it when we get to it, and that kind of stuff. And then we finally pieced it together. Uh, I think that's when the EP sold, when Phil sold his EP, right. and it went for 3000 And then we kind of said, well, let's go ahead and finish this project with Rocket Rome. And... I think in the meantime, we got invited to play Keep It Crew Festival in Germany. So it all kind of came together at one point. Like, okay, we can re- uh, release the old material on Rockadrome while we're getting ready to go to uh, Keep It Crew. So we had about a year and change to get it all together. Um, I don't think we ever really lost contact with any of Because I know I was still coming over and I would meet yeah. sometimes with Jesse. But it, yeah, we would all, you know. But we just never worried about it. Right. Now, I was on iTunes, uh, and I didn't see the the sibling on there. Is Was I searching it wrong, or, or is it is this something that is currently not available on iTunes, but maybe will be soon? Um, I don't, not at all. I don't yeah, know. I guess we just have never, have never uh, you know, taken steps to put it on there. I, I know that... Um, I know the Rockadrome, when they released the compilation, the, the one called Release, um, that 
that they were going to put it on. So I think it's on CD Baby and some other things. But um, but I guess we have the ability to do that to stick it on there. I guess we just have never gotten around to. Yeah, I thought, I thought it already. It, it may be, and uh, but I didn't see it when I when I searched it the other day. But I, I it would probably be under release because the actual the actual sibling by itself is, is part of that compilation. Yeah. But it wouldn't. It, it would, I don't think it was ever like put out just by itself. Um, it was just part of that compilation. They had all of our demos on it, plus the, plus the siblings. So if somebody wanted to buy music from you guys, where is the best place they should go online to do it? Well, they can come directly to us uh, through our MySpace or our Facebook page. Um, we've got a store set up on our Facebook page where you can, you can get stuff uh, from us. And, um, and I kind of think if that was another, another spot. I know that the release... The release EP is um, is available from a lot of different sources through Rockadrome itself, and there's a lot of distributors that are carrying it as well. But you can also just get directly from us. And now the new stuff on High Roller. Yeah, we just did a we just did a vinyl deal. A German label, uh, two German labels, kind of collaborated to do a vinyl re-release, a limited edition. This time they did 1,000 copies of the. Uh, which is it, it basically it's patterned around the, the sibling art, artwork except it's black. It's called uh, the Second Coming, and um, and it features the sibling, the Regiments of Death demo, and the um, No Submission demo as well. And yeah, and it's got a it's got a couple other tunes on it, um, and and that one was just released in the last couple of months. Now, we mentioned the Slayer Plays with Slayer concert that you guys opened up for. Any memories of the young L.A. Slayer coming into Texas? Did you have much contact with them at this gig? Who's got that story? <laughs> yeah. we, we, um, they actually opened up, we actually opened up for Slayer in Austin the night before, and uh, that was our first exposure to them. They show up in a U-Haul truck that they had painted all over different <laughs> different things uh, but all you know they just kind of vandalized it, that uh u-haul truck but uh they were they were um they were not the friendliest guys in the world uh to work with uh to, to play with they, it was you know, like we were we were big admirers and it was kind of disappointing when we when we uh really tried to talk to them it was kind of like they were looking in another direction and, and uh, like they were in a bad mood they were on their way to the top. And were they already kind of, were they acting like rock stars? I mean, it's, it, which would be kind of ironic considering yeah. how they were always claiming to be the anti-rock star band and stuff. Yeah. yeah. They, they were, yeah, they were mostly just, they were just, I, the best way I could describe them was very pissed Apath- off. Apathetic. You know, it, it's like, yeah, they just, they were just, I mean, they weren't, they weren't acting conceited. They just act like something was really pissed them off, you know, and, and like right. they, if you messed around with them too much, they want to fight you or something. <laughs> and, and I know I dang sure didn't want that. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't like they were conceited and they were, like, you know, looking for girls or anything like that. Like, that kind of rock star. They were just mostly just real standoffish and, and uh, kind of put off. So, whatever. And we but, still love them. We still love them. Yeah, we but, still have them in our hearts. Right. Years, but in a hundred years, who's gonna remember yeah. all that stuff? Yeah, we're not still mad at them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in fact, they were. They had. Uh, it was the 
before uh, Hello H was out, and the cool thing about playing those shows is we got to hear some of the tunes off of that album uh, kind of before Hello H came out. I think, I don't know if they, they did Hello H and they did uh, Necrophobia or whatever that one tune is. Oh, um, what's the one where, uh, anyway, but yeah, they had done a few tunes off the new album. That was really cool because uh, yeah. that EP they did, Honey and Chapel just went out when, they, when we played with them. We were, we were digging that. Yeah, cool. the, the San Antonio show was, yeah. was just amazing as well. Packed via Fontana. And I remember uh, we were doing a sound check, uh, which was amazing that we'd get sound checks. <laughs> and uh, I remember we did a sound check, and after we finished, we stopped in the middle of one of the songs. There's this giant roar of, of people outside of of the uh, venue and it just kind of like wow we didn't know there were that many people out there already it was like four in the afternoon five yeah. in the afternoon and, and there was you know, many were out there. out there are there any other bands significant bands that you guys were opening up for or playing gigs with back in those days yeah we got to we got to open we did a show in san antonio where we opened up for megadeth and exciter and exciter was actually the headliner and then megadeth you know Open for them, and we open for Megadeth. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, was it we did King Diamond? Right? Yeah, we did King Diamond. We opened up for them. We opened up for Metal Church. Yeah. Um, cool. That would be King Diamond solo or with Merciful Fate? Yeah, it's solo. It's solo. It's wow, okay. August of 86. That, his that. first solo. Yeah. He had just written. Uh, 1986. Yeah, those were all really great shows. Of course, we were, you know, young, huge admirers of all these groups. You know, we had their albums and fans as well. Yeah. Right. Cool. Now, when people think of Texas metal, there's one band that obviously stands out, and that is Pantera. Any yeah. stories about the younger Pantera before maybe they were Pantera, or any dealings with those guys ever for any of you guys in Militia? Yeah, uh, Phil, Phil and I, yeah, Phil and I went to, uh, of all things, a Motley Crue show in Austin, and these dudes came up to us, and they were wearing their, their shirts and stuff, and they had albums and cassettes, and they were just there at that show trying to promote Pantera, and, uh, and it was... Uh, and what uh, year would this have been, like, 1984, 85? Yeah, 84, yeah, 1984. Okay, so pop, probably Shout at the Devil or something like that. Uh, it was the, the first album. Shout at the Devil was out. Yeah, it, Shout at the Devil was out. Yeah, I think it was like 83. Yeah, yeah it, was 80, it was 83 because Militia really hadn't gotten formed yet. I think I had known Phil, but we hadn't really formed Militia yet. So it was either late 83, very early 84. And um, and they and they had these, um, you know, Pantera was there. It was mostly, it was uh, the drummer and the guitar player. It was uh, the brothers, uh, uh, Daryl and... Um, uh, uh, Vinny. Vinny. Yep. Yeah. And um, and and they, you know, but it's funny because they were in, they're from Dallas, which is only like four hours north of us. But they had these real strong accents, you know. And they're like, you know, playing God, this good heavy metal man. You got to check this out. And they were real enthusiastic and they were really nice. And uh, so, man, you know, it was real effective because Phil and I said, hey, you know, let's go up there and check out one of their shows. And uh, so we did. We we drove up there, you know, because they'd given us. You know, the vinyl and their cassettes and T-shirts and stuff. And so this is pretty cool. So we went up and saw them. And, uh, man, they were really different, you know, from what they ended up becoming, you know, like the early formation, early form of them. 
But uh, and what were they like at that point? They were they were super young, and 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 Daryl had just really big hair, and he was a phenomenal guitar player. He just blew me away with, with what he was playing. But, he was but musically, it's like Def Leppard. Yeah, it was like yeah. you know, it was real, real rock. Yeah, he, was like, he was known as Diamond Daryl. Yeah, he was yeah. Diamond Daryl. And, and who was in the band at that point? Do you know? Was it besides the, the brothers? They had Rex Rocker on the bass. So I think it was Rex Brown. And right. They, they had that Harry Glaze as a vocalist. Okay. And, um, you know, and it was just a real lightweight kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so we were trying to be nice. You know, Phil and I were trying to be nice. You know, as far as you know, it was just kind of hard for us to get into. We were in the early heavier stuff. But you know, no, no doubt about it, the, the guitar player. Was, phenomenal every time the leads came about you know our eyes were blue uh, but uh but it's kind of funny because you know their image was totally different back then and, and i remember uh you know something happened before the show and and, and daryl didn't have he couldn't find his leg warmers and he vowed not to go on until somebody could find him some leg warmers and he was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm sure he played many more shows with no leg warmers down the road down the way but, but yeah back then that was part of his image yeah Went from leg warmers to wearing shorts, huh? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so there's there's so many bands that, metal bands, that were going on down in Texas uh, back in the 80s. And, and a lot of them, I would probably say, are, are long forgotten. Are there any that you guys would like to mention, any, any that you thought really stood out above the, uh, above the pack, if you will, from the 80s? Uh, a group called Parian, a three-piece group called Parian. Yeah, they're four-piece. Were they four-piece? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, their their guitar player was the original guitar player and an essay player, and then uh, they, and then later on he was in the band Carrion, and they were just vocalist Chris Bond. Yeah, really they, they had a great sound and original sound. Very original. It was real yeah. good. They were real technical sounding, but they were real melodic too, and. Uh, and like I said, just phenomenal vocals, really unique musicianship. And that's the thing, all these guys, all these bands had, you know, just these really solid musicians, you know, and, um, you know, just really high-end players. Yeah. And was it uh, uh, the drummer, Frank? The drummer yeah. Frank went on to play with Hellstar. Yeah, Frank Ferreria. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Carrion was really good. Uh, Watchtower. Yeah, of course, Cyrus. Yeah, Cyrus is a good one. Um, yeah, but we, we, I mean, getting to see Essay Slayer and Carrion and those guys, those were those are just that was a real treat. Just being a part of the scene, just to get to play with those guys and just to get to watch them, you know, after we played. And uh, the Wizard was another one. That's uh, it was uh, one of the first bands that we played with. I think our first show was with those guys. Yeah, uh, they were pretty solid. So now that we're in 2011, what does the future hold for you guys? Uh, we're hoping to see in about, what, six months? <laughs> we are still recording a, a new album. Notice I said album, not CD. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're still recording. As a matter of fact, we're going to go do some recording after this. Uh Come up with some new material. We're going to send it out and see what happens. You know, uh, with this new sound that we have, you know, uh, this new classic sound. This new have. classic sound, <laughs> hopefully. And, uh, 
you know, and just see what happens from there. You, know, you don't really uh, know what's going to happen. It's really all up in the air. We kind of feel like our this 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 new this new album really will dictate what's going to be in our future. Uh, yeah, we, we we don't really have any control over that other than just doing a good job on the album. And, yeah. Uh, but letting it go because I think you know our legacy stuff is taking us about as far as it can take us, yeah. and um, you know it's time, to, time to show them where we're at now. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well, we look forward to hearing that, and please keep us posted as to uh, when we can feature some of it on uh, Talking Metal. I wanted to also ask you guys about other bands, or if there were any. I know Mike, of course, you were involved with Watchtower, but. Uh, for the other guys, were you um, in bands post militia? There was a long break there. We're just kind of wondering what you were up to musically. Uh, I was Tony. I was in a bunch of them, but none of them really, you know, worth mentioning. None of them that did anything. But I've been busy ever since. Then. Just had it made. Right. <laughs> and and uh, me, uh, Jesse. Uh, I'm friends with a guy named Mike Lateo who played drums for a band called Assailant in Austin and uh, uh, post-Militia. Uh, at one point, we got together for a little while and, and put together a Christian band. Um, that lasted maybe a year and a half, but um, it was a good thing for me at that time. Oh, by the way, I, I'm going to play with Lateo now. And it's a solo project. But he's used only Militia guitars. <laughs> And and Mike, I know you did the Watchtower thing. What were you up to post Watchtower? Um, I actually played, ended up playing drums again with a uh, sort of a, uh, I guess, a, a, an industrial group called uh, Voodoo Dolly, and I believe one Assailant. I sang for Assailant. Um, yeah, that was right after Malaysia. That was right after Malaysia. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it, really. Uh, cool. Mike yeah. Mike, any thoughts uh, there's been talk that there's uh, going to be a new Watchtower record at some point any any thoughts on that as an ex-member of that band um, I don't know I mean I know that they decided to part ways with Jason which to me you know I always I'm, I'm so used to hearing Jason in Watchtower I, I I know Alan Tecchio is amazing as a vocalist, but I'm, I guess I'm just a traditionalist and would love to hear Jason back and watch her. And I have heard a couple of uh, uh, rough mixes of the new stuff with Jason, which sounds amazing. Uh, and I, did, they, did, did they finally decide to get Alan Tecchio back? I don't know. There, there, there was a single, uh, one track that was, re- a yes. new track that was released with Alan. Um, I don't know if there will be more tracks uh, f- with him. But well, you know, um, since, since that was released, they they parted ways with him and started searching for a new vocalist. But I don't think they, I don't think that's been a very fruitful search. And it may end up being that Alan ends up hearing the yeah. vocals on the new album. Yeah. And, uh, so, but he lives in New Jersey, and the rest of the guys are here in Austin. So, yeah, or San Antonio. Uh, Austin or San Antonio, yeah. yeah. So they're in Texas, so I think there's a little bit of complication there. But right. Who knows? I, I thought they'd finish theirs before we finished ours. But yeah. Right. <laughs> it may not work out that way. I think we finish ours first. 
And what yeah. metal bands have interest you guys? Like, as far as maybe younger bands, I'm talking bands that came out after, let's say, 1990. What bands have uh, have seemed interesting or good to you guys? Metal bands, we're talking, or hard rock. Um, let's see. That's a hard one because I kind of stopped listening <laughs> to metal or pretty much around the early 90s because it went so far off the track to me. When you say far off, you know, when it it started getting, you know, Alice in Chains and Nirvana, Nirvana, well, yeah, Alice in Chains and the Soundgarden, it's turned into organic metal, which is what I like to call it, and I wasn't really feeling that. So I pretty much just stopped altogether. And I I know, and I'm sure there was lots of other underground heavy metal bands that, you know, have to go searching for them, but I was—I guess I was just waiting for them to come to me, and I just kind of stopped listening to the whole genre for a while. So I haven't really found anybody new because I haven't really been searching. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, if I want to hear some heavy stuff, I'll just pull out my old you know, so albums. You, so but that's not. Uh, let me just say this: that's not taking anything away from Alice in Chains or Nirvana. We have all the respect in the world for them. It's just that, you know, uh, our interests are, are just somewhere else, you know. And as far as the music, uh, you know, personally for me, this is Jesse, I, uh, after Militia, uh, I didn't, I really didn't hear too much music at all, and I never have. And maybe that's just like the paranoia in me, but I felt like if I heard too much music, I might be influenced by that. Therefore, it might take away from my passion as far as putting material together. I wouldn't want to be influenced by anyone. Cool. Well, guys, what? Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say we're probably a pretty unique, you know. Well, maybe I, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, we when people ask us the question about what we're into and what we listen to nowadays, I mean, you know, we're we're we I almost feel like we're kind of ignorant about what's really out there. Uh, like there's a lot of stuff we haven't heard and not familiar yeah. with. We kind of there was that long break where. You know, where we were really not much exposed to much in the way of metal, and, and I mean, I, being back in the militia kind of got me interested in it again, and, and kind of going backwards a little bit, and kind of picking up where I left off, and but it was hard for me to really find stuff that that really did it for me the way the music from the mid '80s era did, and you know, between production and and you know production quality and just the way the music is, it's, it's like I find that I'm pretty picky. And uh, so it's pretty. It's been pretty tough, you know. Like I try to listen to like modern metal today, and, and it's so different now. And you know, it, it just doesn't click the way the music we used to listen to did. And um, so it's, it's just it, it makes it it makes it kind of interesting to me, like what what how our music is gonna you know the new album how that's gonna where that's gonna fit in today. I think it's just a real it's a real interesting. Uh, Kind of cause and effect. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that happens. You know, what, where where it goes and who, who's interested in it, whether it's traditionalists or even newer newer fans or whatnot. I think I just have a feeling that, that it could, you know, it could go in, in all those directions. And real quickly, uh, this is Jesse. Let me just say that uh, you know I just see it as a blessing and because progressing as a guitar player, not necessarily hearing what's what's happening as the years go by, but continuing to ride and progress as a musician, I'm equally excited and looking forward to see what kind of response we get from the public. 
And so uh, we can only hope for much success for Militia, and we look forward to 2011 being a big year. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys, on the Talking Metal podcast. We really appreciate it. Definitely keep me posted on the, uh, the new recording. Can't wait to hear it. Regiments of Death. What you just heard was my interview with the one and only Militia. Thanks thanks to Mr. James Smith, today's executive producer, for setting that shit up. Such a unique story with those guys with that EP and just uh, the fact that there were 
so few copies pressed and that so many years later, those copies were worth so much money. Um, good shit. Good shit. Thanks guys for joining us. Thanks to James Smith for hooking that up. We're going to end with a little more hell star, but I wanted to just catch you up on a couple Mark Striegel bits of info, if you will. The Metallica class, I taught the first one over at School of Rock in Montclair. Big thanks to the kids over there. I had a great time. Um, I was told they liked me. They asked me to come back and do it again in August for the campers in August. So uh, a lot of fun teaching the history of Metallica to those guys. Uh, I wish I would have actually recorded the whole thing because I would love to podcast it for you for you guys. Um, my uh, super fan history of Metallica. You know, side note, School of Montclair or School of Rock Montclair asked Eddie Trunk to actually teach the class and uh, he was not available. So eh, good for me. Actually, uh, I would probably show up and, and do it for free, you know, but uh, they, they, they hooked me up. So thanks to the guys, Matt and Rafe and all the guys over at School of Rock and all you students, uh, good luck with your uh, recital of some classic metal songs, including a bunch of Metallica stuff. John had dinner with Bumblefoot in Jersey City the other night. They uh, were over at the Gibson showroom. Bumblefoot was in there with a, a, a chick he's producing, and John works at Gibson still, as well as writing the Ace Fraley book. He works at Nickelodeon, he works at Gibson, and he's doing Talking Metal, too. Uh, and, and, you know, on the John tip, he's been extremely busy with the Ace thing, which I, I now, that's the reason he really hasn't been here quite, quite as much. Um, although, as I said in a, a past podcast, um, I don't hang out at the bars as much anymore because I got two little kids at home and don't live in Manhattan anymore or Jersey City for that matter. So hanging has become a little more difficult. My youngest dude, Grant, is 11 months now, so I'm hopeful that uh, that I'm getting through the, the baby phase here and there'll be a little more freedom in the in the future to potentially even do some jamming with guys like Alan Tecchio, who we heard earlier in the, on that awesome Watchtower song. Hoping we hear some more watchtower with alan tecchio but uh, i don't know i don't know we'll see and dan lorenzo both alan and dan i'm in contact with uh, occasionally and uh, they're both into doing another screaming metal gig with with me at some point so uh, and john for that matter so hopefully we can uh, hook that up at some point in the near future um yeah 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 got the iphone i like it i like it little learning curve after being on the droid for so long there are a few functions i do miss about the droid but uh iphone is treating me good i like it the main thing i like is that it has this interface that opens up called itunes uh, you guys all know it the itunes software and you're able to manage your iphone from that which the droid just doesn't have anything that convenient which uh is what uh, led me to try the uh, iPhone for a while. I caught Motley Crue, Poison, New York Dolls at the PNC Art Center, you know, and just had such a blast. I love all three of those bands. I'll give you my quick review. Um, New York Dolls, love them, love them, love them. They didn't belong on that gig. It would have been so much better if they had a Rat or Dokken or a band like that opening up for them. That's not because... 
I would have liked that better because, again, I love the New York Tiles. The 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 Poison Montley Crew fan base just could have gave a rat's ass about the New York Dolls. At least in New Jersey, that was the case. Um, they should have had a Cinderella or somebody like that opening it up. And and I suspect Tommy Lee and 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 Nikki Six, you know, they're just so freaking like they still think I love them. I love them. Let me say that. And they were awesome, but they still kind of I think think they're relevant i i do think they are relevant i mean they they both obviously motley crew is doing so well uh with this concert tour and um you know 6 a.m and tommy's got his methods of mayhem and all this other stuff going on but it's like i i feel like they did they they want to be not associated as as like an 80s pop metal band if you will uh, and I think that's where the New York Dolls came into that tour. Um, and you know what? They probably didn't need a rat or Cinderella to open the show because I tell you, it was like 12,000 people there in New Jersey. I mean, it, if it wasn't sold out, it was very close to it. I suspect it was. We had seventh row. Freaking had a great time singing along to both Poison and Montley Crew. Um, so much fun. So much fun. And New York Dolls, for that matter. All righty. Yeah, we had the VIP passes. Actually ran into Mindy and Adam, I think their names are, who were on our Talking Metal show on Fuse. They were the the, the couple, married couple, with just some awesome Nikki Six tattoos. And I actually got footage of them up on our YouTube page. If you want to see a, a cool rock and roll couple with some cool Nikki Six tattoos, Check it out. They coincidentally were in the front row. I was I was in the seventh row at the at the crew concert with my my wife. They were front row, and they don't even live in New Jersey. They're from somewhere else. I can't remember. But um, good seeing you guys. If you happen to be listening to this, Adam and Mindy, the Nikki Six super fans. They were I think seeing their like sixth or seventh show of the tour when I ran into them. Uh, it's always great to catch up with old friends like them. If you haven't seen their footage, go to our YouTube page, YouTube, youtube.com slash Talking Metal. Please remember to check us out, TalkingMetal.com. Check me out, MarkStriegelRadio.com, MarkStriegel.net. And I'm on Twitter as Twitter.com slash Talking Metal and also Twitter.com slash Marks, no, slash Striegel, Twitter.com slash Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L. Got a couple uh, emails from you guys that you saw my dad. Uh, yeah, he's been on a lot of these news shows uh, promoting his book. Uh, everybody I know has got a book. Lon Friend, Derek Sivers, my old high school buddy, John Astronomy, a.k.a. Ostrowski, has got his book coming out. And my dad is uh, out there promoting his book on uh, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC, CNBC. I think he's been on all the news stations with the exception of CNN. So um, if you haven't checked out my dad's book, it's uh, Managers, Can You Hear Me Now by Denny Striegel. That's it. More Texas Metal by Hellstar right now. 